Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, this month we have been going back through our legacy interviews with some of the best guests that we've had. And one of the individuals that we had way back in 2018, who you actually can't get to do a podcast interview anymore, he is that busy, is Chris Voss, who is a former FBI negotiator, hostage negotiator, and he wrote the book Split the Difference, and he has just been flat out busy. His notoriety has gone through the roof. So we wanted to repost this one, and one of the things we talk about in the show is just the importance of, you know, when we're having influence, when we talk about negotiation, that really is the power of influence. And that means our level of emotional intelligence. And that's one of the things that CRG really does help you with, is help you to understand yourself, understand others, increase that self-awareness, that self-management, and that self-mastery, and of course, emotional intelligence. And one of the things we want to recommend, if you already haven't done so, is consider one of our e-courses. The Personal Style Indicator is now the number one personality assessment as rated by participants globally. I mean, over all other personality assessments. So the personal style indicator is now number one globally. And so you can go to our site, crgleader.com, look up the personal style indicator, or take the e-course, Why Aren't You More Like Me?, which is based on my book from the same name. And we go in depth about how to apply personal style to our emotional intelligence, to our awareness, to really our overall effectiveness and fulfillment in life. If you like what we're doing here with Secrets of Success, please pass it on, share it, leave a positive review in whatever platform you're listening on. And I do appreciate that you have been part of the tribe and listening to us for these over five years that we have been on the air. So here's a great interview with the author of Split the Difference, Chris Voss. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's show is very interesting. I just finished interviewing Chris Voss. Now, Chris is a former FBI lead international kidnap negotiator. So Chris was with the FBI for 24 years. He led the team. He worked in many situations where he was teaching people and also part of the negotiations. The other thing that Chris has now done is he's written a new book called Never Split the Difference. And Chris now works with businesses, organizations to help create an environment for successful negotiations. Now, for those of you that are listening, is before we get into meeting Chris, every single person listening to this show is negotiating something at some point or another. Your teenager's negotiating how long they want to stay out at night. Uh, the spouse trying to, uh, your partner's negotiating where you want to go for a holiday. Your employees are negotiating wages, or you're negotiating with somebody to hire them or a business contract to get a new business. So every single person is constantly communicating. And one of the things that is shared in the beginning of the show, now there are many gems as we get into the tail end of the show, so listen to the entire show, is 
really around one of the core things, the core things that CRG teaches and what we do here is around emotional intelligence. Do you know yourself? So just a little sidebar, you know, as you listen to this show with Chris Voss, is that you think about your emotional intelligence. Think about what is your personal style. So if you haven't completed one of our assessments there, think about your values assessment. Think about the leadership skills, if that's an area that you're in and you want to complete that assessment from us. That's one of the areas that we live in where we're really helping people to create self-awareness. And then listen to Chris and some of the items that he has. It's out of his book, Never Split the Difference. So thank you for listening to the Secrets of Success podcast. If you like what we're doing, please share, pass it on, let other people know about it. Leave a positive comment. We thank you very much for allowing us to serve you. Here's Chris Voss. We actually have an individual who has just voted one of the top 100 leadership speakers in the world by Inc. Magazine, a former FBI hostage negotiator, and he's written the book, Never Split the Difference. Uh, welcome to the show, Chris Voss. Rob, uh, Chris, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. I am happy to be here. Thank you. And Chris, we were just talking off air. You moved from the East Coast to the West Coast, and because I'm on the West Coast now, I think more highly of you as part of that. So uh, it's going to go better for sure. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Chris, you were with the FBI for 24 years, but before we get into that part of your career, just tell us a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up and just sort of your journey as a kid and some of your family background? Just You know, I know my voice doesn't sound like it because of the time that I spent in New York, but I'm originally from a small town in Iowa. I'm a small town Midwestern guy son of Richard Joyce Voss, Mount Pleasant, Iowa. Uh, there were more people in the building I lived, or I worked in in New York City than were in the town I grew up in. Wow. You know, got into law enforcement, ended up an FBI agent, became a hostage negotiator with the FBI. Now, if with the law enforcement side, here you are in Iowa, what was sort of the background of your parents? Were they in farming? Were they in something different? What, was, what were they doing? Yeah, all right, small town now, so I, I, didn't, I didn't grow up on a farm. A very clear distinction where I grew up, you know, the uh, kids who grew up on farms actually called me a city kid, if you could imagine that, a city of 7,000 people. Yeah, my father was an entrepreneur. He had, he had his own business. He was a very entrepreneurial guy. I grew up in an entrepreneurial environment, blue-collar approach to life, hardworking, you know, do what you got to do to get it done. And usually you got to figure it out on your own. And my well, son and I always joke, one of the unofficial boss models is how hard can it be? Did you go directly into the FBI or what was before that? No, you can't, unless you're a scientist or an accountant or an attorney, you can't go directly into the FBI, usually from school. Um, they, like, they like you to have at least some real world experience. And I didn't plan on going into the FBI originally, but I, I was a police officer. I was a cop in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, for three years after I graduated college. And what was really the motivation behind law enforcement for you? What, what was driving that sort of career direction? You know, I got to tell you, when I was a teenager, I saw a movie called The Super Cops. And it was about two police officers in New York City. And I was just blown away at how creative those guys were and how much fun they had and how much good they did. And I thought, you know, I, I kind of like all that. That's pretty cool. I could, I could, I could dig something like that. And uh, I wanted to be in law enforcement. You know, from seeing that move. Now, how, what's, what was your uh, experience like when you were in Kansas? 
as far as law enforcement. And was did, did it fulfill sort of what the movie said, or did it go in a different direction? I wasn't in Kansas City, Kansas. I was Kansas City, Missouri. You know, we, we no. got to understand the difference. Very, very important. <laughs> reasonable things. Very important. Okay. So when you were there, and thank you for correcting me, that's perfect. What, what was the experience there in those three years that you were on the force there? Well, you know, I, I loved it. I loved the first year a lot more uh, the most because I was in a commercial area. You know, law enforcement has different aspects. If you're in a commercial area, basically, you know, there's a lot more street life. You know, one might argue that maybe I had ADD. I, need, I needed stuff going on a constant, regular basis. I, I like uh, like working in commercial, industrial areas, bars, restaurants, bad guys on the street, that kind of stuff. And and then, uh, but after my first year, I got rotated to a residential area. That's a different ball game. Slower. It's much more meticulous. And I am not a slow, meticulous guy. <laughs> so I started. I started getting a little bit bored with it. And then I was also I was also on the list to go to the SWAT team. I tried out for the SWAT team, and I was uh, I did really well in, in the in the, in the tryouts. But um, now, where did that opportunity come from, Chris? Well, my father was disappointed that I was a police officer, and to some degree, you know, he just got done uh, foot in the bell for a four-year college education, and I went out and got a job that didn't require a college education. So, you know, if, if I paid for a college degree and my son didn't go get a job that he needed it for, I'd be a little disappointed. You know, he had higher aspirations for me. So, but he knew that I was committed to law enforcement. So he had a buddy that was a Secret Service agent. And he wanted me to talk to this guy. And I spoke to him on the phone. And this guy said, you know, I travel all over the world. And I remember thinking, really? I could have a job where I could people would pay me to travel all over the world. I, I, that might be interesting. So as fate would have it, to my good fortune, the Secret Service was not hiring. The FBI was. And I thought, you know, that's a, that's a different set of federal mm-hmm. alphabet letters there. What could the difference be? I'll put it for the FBI. And uh, the Bureau uh, ended up uh, having a real big hiring push at that time, first to first of a big three-year push, and I kind of snuck in the door with a bunch of other people, and it ended up being perfect for me. Wow. Now, you went over to Quantico. Did you go and train there? Yeah, you're going you're gonna to be an FBI agent. you got to go through the Academy of Quantico. There's no, there's no two ways about that. And Quantico is a really cool place it's where lives are transformed. You know, you, you go in citizen, and you come out an FBI agent. That's kind of a cool thing. And it really, it really is transformative. So, yeah, I went, I went to Quantico. Now, you get into FBI, and, of course, then there's all kinds of specialties within it. How did this whole area of negotiations, especially sort of hostage negotiations, come into play, and how did that evolve for you? Yeah, you know, most law enforcement agencies have additional specialties you can do besides your day job, if you will. Um, you know, like if you're an FBI agent, you could get interested. You could, maybe you want to blow things up, so you become a bomb tech. Maybe you want to be in a SWAT team. Maybe you want to be a negotiator. Maybe you want to be an undercover. It kind of, it, it's kind of how you're built. I was originally on a SWAT team. I got on the SWAT team in the Pittsburgh uh, office of the FBI, and then uh, injured my knee in the process of trying out for the Bureau's version of the Navy SEALs, um, uh, which would be the hostage rescue team. Now, I know the SEALs don't see the hostage rescue team is their equivalent, uh, but, you know, that's friendly competition. Of course. But then I hurt, I hurt my knee for it, and, and, but I still want to be in crisis response. I knew we had hostage negotiators. Again, you know, the boss model, how hard could it be? 
I, I decided I don't want to be a hostage negotiator. I, was, I went to the head of the hostage negotiation team in uh, New York City and was summarily rejected. And, uh, and what was the main reason they rejected you with the first time? I was eminently unqualified. <laughs> so I, went, I went to Amy Bondro and I said, hey, you know, kind of like, ta-da, here I am. I want to be a hostage negotiator. And she kind of went, yeah, really? You know, I can, I can kind of remember Amy looking down her nose at me over her glasses from her desk. And she was like, all right, so, okay, fine. Everybody wants to be a hostage negotiator. You got any experience? I know you're a cop. Were you, were you a negotiator in a police department? I said, nope. She said, you got any training as a therapist, any, any, any sort of training whatsoever? I said, nope. She said, you got, you got a degree in psychology. You got any sort of educational credentials at all? Uh, nope. And she finally said, no, you can't do it. Go away. You're, you know, everybody wants to be a hostage negotiator. It sounds cool. It sounds easy. You got no qualifications. Go away. And I said, you know, oh, come on. You know, there's got to be something I could do. And she said, there is. Now, go volunteer on a suicide hotline. Now, until you've done that, go away. And I got, I got back I got back to her about five months later. And I said, hey, I want you to know I've been on a hotline for about five months. And she's, she said, you're kidding. And I said, I said, no. No, you told me to do it. I did it. She says, I tell everybody to do that. Nobody does it. You know, Amy, by, far, by being smart enough to ask the right person what to do and then doing it, she jumped me over five other people that went online. She really became an unofficial mentor for me from that point forward. Wow. And what was the suicide hotline experience like, Chris? You know, it's pretty cool. What it is, it's high-intensity uh, training and emotional intelligence. And that's all it is. I mean, it is a master class on, on EQ, emotional intelligence, and, and actually listening. Not, not pretending to listen, but actually listening. And a, a really cool thing about that whole thing was, you know, when I first got there, they said, if you do this, uh, you should never be on a phone for more than 20 minutes at a time. If you do it right, you'll be done in 20 minutes or less. And I can remember thinking, yeah, you're kidding me, you know? 20 minutes, that's crazy. Based on what I've seen in the movies, it takes a lot longer than that. And they're like, no, if you, if you do this right, you, you'll be done in 20 minutes or less. And the opportunity to get on the phone and be able to turn people around in 20 minutes or less was just an amazing experience. And uh, it's a master class on emotional intelligence. It was really cool. So if you were to share with the audience today, Chris, I mean, obviously, this was the beginning of evolving into this quality and expert negotiator. What were some of the things that you learned in that initial sort of suicide call center? You know, feeding back to people what you're hearing sounds trite, but it's enormously powerful. I mean, you really kind of understand that Stephen Covey's advice from way back when, seek first to understand, then be understood. Mm -hmm. You learn actually how to do that. Now, a lot of people get it completely wrong, and they'll say, I understand. And they'll think that, and even if they do, they think that's sufficient. And saying, I understand to somebody, may well be the worst thing you can say to somebody. I mean, it is just horrible. But we think we're doing the right thing when, when we say it. So, you know, getting out of that may have been one of the, uh, one of the first big differences that uh, I started learning how to make. Mm -hmm. So what do you do instead? So you're... Well, you, uh, you, you, know, you feed it back to them. You, le you learn the essence. I mean, there are various components. We didn't break it down into components when, when I was there, and that's what we do now. We understand what those components are, and this applies directly to big conversations and personal conversations. 
But, you know, there's what somebody says to you, I mean, if you could think of it as, as a beam of white light and you, you pass light through a prism and suddenly it's broken down into components and there are about seven or eight colors in a beam of white light. Well, begin to understand what the components are of what somebody says, you know, what's driving them on a surf, what, what's the underlying, what's underneath anger, uh, what's, un, what's underneath happiness. I mean, every emotion has a flip side, you know, if you hate one thing, you love something else. Being able to understand what those are and, and what feeding that back to someone does. And interestingly enough, that's all backed up by neuroscience. If you identify a negative, somebody's being driven by a negative, and simply call it out, label it, if you will. Neuroscience tells us that diffuses the activity in the brain where negative emotions are happening. So simply calling it out, not denying it, the two millimeter shift in the communications, most people used to deny a negative and saying, you know, I don't want it to seem like I'm a jerk. That's a denial of a negative. When you, your gun instinct is telling you you're being a jerk, or at least they think mm-hmm. you are. And the two millimeter shift is this, instead of saying, I don't want to seem like a jerk, you're going to say, you know, I, I'm sure it seems like I am a jerk. And the second way will diffuse it. And the first way will aggravate it. The denial aggravates But the identification or labeling of it diffuses it. It's, and... Nobody believes that that's true. People are horribly afraid to do it like that, and, and it's actually the, the absolute best thing. Mm, mm, awesome. So, and we're going to get into all your work around negotiations here shortly, Chris. So you, thank you for that in really helping. It's interesting, you know, as somebody who teaches communications, how few of us actually really listen and really that's hear right. what that other person is doing. So for those of you that are listening to this podcast, you know, take heart what Chris is talking about is that do we really listen and your 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 soundbite and your jam over oh I understand I right away in internally Chris my response and what I was thinking about was oh you don't know what I'm thinking you don't how how do how you understand what I'm feeling or thinking so I you know right away you can see the differences on how you're you're feeding that back so here's the here's the boss, and sh- and she goes and she has you skip over four or five other people. What was the training in this negotiation process at the FBI like? That was really cool because when I got down there, you know, I my my suicide hotline skills were really sharp, and I can remember when they first started playing case from us for some actual hostage negotiations. I said to myself, I've been doing this for a year. I just didn't have a SWAT team outside. So I felt very comfortable from the very beginning with the whole process. And then the other thing that was cool about it is it's the only FBI uh, in-service training that there are outsiders at. Like normally you go to an in-service training with the FBI, and there are only FBI agents there, which is I didn't know there were going to be outsiders. And those outsiders are hostage negotiators from across the country and around the world that are experienced and have been involved in actual scenarios. And it you suddenly you find yourself in the middle of an international community, which is really kind of kind of a cool thing. And mm. people dealing with the same thing around the world. And the other cool thing about that, you slowly realize, the hostage negotiators in Cape Town, South Africa, and Tokyo, Japan, are using the exact skills that we use in the U.S. And you think, you say, wait a minute. How, how, could, how could a Japanese guy and an African guy and an American guy, how could you use the same stuff to get through to all those cultures? And then you learn that it's because human beings are all wired the same. It doesn't matter what their ethnicity or what their gender is. 
they're going to respond to the same set of skills. And then when you realize you can use this stuff around the world, then it becomes really, really powerful. Mm. Must have been pretty cool to have that group of people there. And I suspect there was just a real connection with other individuals that are doing this from, from the globe. Yeah, it really was. It really was. And then, you know, you, you share experiences and, and you share that initially, I mean, it's scary, it's a little overwhelming. And, uh, yeah, it's a very cool thing. So what did you, you know, going into it, What take us through shortly, you know, sort of a short version, I guess, of just the training itself and, and what that entails as far as how does a person actually develop these negotiation skills? Yeah, well, you know, you're, you're, you you can be trained. It's not it's not that hard. Everybody's kind of everybody's got a capacity for emotional intelligence. It's just how much it's been brought out in you. And you go to good good instruction, and the FBI training was really good instruction. They told us specifically, here's what an emotion label is. Here's how you construct it, and and here's how you apply it. And they, really, it's exactly the same thing we're doing now in my company, the Black Swan Group. We'll tell you quite specifically exactly how to construct what you say, and as importantly, how not to construct it. And you can you can make some real uh, there's some real easy mystery, uh, mistakes that can be made if you don't know that you're making those mistakes. Okay, can uh, I'm going to save that right here because I want to come back to that. Make sure that all the listeners you're going to have to hang on for a moment to get all that uh, gems from from Chris. So what you were with uh, the FBI for uh, 24 years. Any stories from that whole experience that you would share with the audience that could help us, you know, the things that you went through there that could help us in our day-to-day lives here as we constantly are negotiating with others or having conversation with others in our day-to-day lives? Wow. Yeah, you know, um, the first time I was, first and only time I negotiated a bank robbery, bank robbery with hostages. Now, the reason why it was the only time I ever did it is because, you know, bank robbery with hostages and negotiations is actually a really rare event. You know, that stuff happens in movies all the time, but bad guys getting trapped in a bank and having to try to negotiate their way out just doesn't happen. They they usually get away Mm -hmm. before the police show up. And the one I negotiated in New York City, it had been 20 years since a bank robbery with hostages had taken place. You know, I just... I, I use what I refer to as the late night FM DJ voice. But the bank robbers, and there was one bank robber that actually, the ringleader used all the tech of what a great CEO would do in a negotiation. And the biggest thing that this guy did was he completely was ducking responsibility and always blaming the other guy from the bank for being more dangerous than he was. He had to do what they said, and, you know, he was really worried about them. You know, a great CEO, when they come to the table, they're going to say, I got a board of directors. I'm worried about my board of directors. You know, what they do, what they do is they're hiding their influence. If, they, if you come to the table and you act powerless, you're a really shrewd, influential negotiator. Because if you act powerless, then they're not going to try to pin you down at the table. But if you take responsibility for the influence that you have, the other side is going to be like, excellent, we got the decision 